Well, my name is Chris Pruitt. I'm the Children's Ministries Director for the state of Minnesota. And so I get to go all over to churches, to run camps, to run events. And we are just, one of our favorite things to do ever is partnering with the local church. So if you have not met me yet, and you are in kids' ministry in your church, I would love to meet you. I'd love to get your number to connect you to some other kids' pastors, and that would just be a joy and an honor. So two years ago, I went back to school to North Central, and I'm like, I'm going to, I want to, I was excited to go back because I was actually ready to learn after being in my late 30s. Uh, in my, you know, when I went to North Central the first time around, it was awesome. But I'm like, I want to get my master's in strategic leadership, and I want to apply the things to kids' ministries. And one of the things that was just huge on my heart was this first slide. You can show it is building emotionally healthy kids in the church. There's been just such a pandemic right now, before the pandemic, of kids carrying around this invisible backpack. Does this clicker work too for me? Sweet. If it does, awesome. I could run these. Um, kids are carrying around this emotional backpack, this invisible backpack, with emotions like fear, anger, disappointment. It just felt like when I was a kid, we'd just run and get our energy out, and life was just good. Like, ride my bike around town without where my mom knew where I was for, like, eight, nine hours. I think my mom was intentionally trying to get rid of me because, dude, it was, hey, you're going into town with your bike, like, by yourself for all day? All right, see you at supper. Wow, Mom, you must hate me. All right, anyway, um, but, you know, it was just a different day and age, and now some of these kids walk around with just a heaviness. It's like, whoa, where did this come from, and how can we speak to that in the church. And one of the data points that I was studying is there has been something, Dr. Kathy Cook talked about this, but with screen time, in 2007 was when the iPhone came out. They did a meta study all the way from 1993 to 2016, and something drastically happened in the year 2012. This is the year the adolescents scored lower in self-esteem, life satisfaction, and happiness than ever before. They discovered that more time spent on electronic communications and screens lowered the students' psychological well-being scores. So more time spent on screens equals lower happiness. It's in direct proportion. And what did we do with COVID? We added about eight more hours of screen time to every kid's day. Now they're trying to do school while having a window open for Fortnite right? I mean, it was just the, the challenges, the amount of screen time that kids are facing, the amount of information Dr. Kathy talks about that the human brain wasn't wired to process all this information. Um, and so I, I really, that resonates with me because we see the anxiety levels like never before. We see the suicide rates in kids. I mean, they used to be like so uncommon to ever hear of a kid contemplating suicide. Now we have children um, in the Fargo area, they had a mental illness unit. It was for adults. They had 150 beds for adults for mental illness. They had to repurpose that entire facility because there was over 80 children under the age, I think, 13 in an adult mental health facility because they're seeing challenges that they've never seen. So having to revamp their entire hospital to help kids now struggle with heavy issues. And so kids nowadays, they really do have an invisible backpack. Regulating emotions. When children do not know how to regulate their emotions, they become prone to anxiety, depression, lack of emotional awareness, and dysregulated emotional expression. Prior studies have linked poor emotional regulation to increased aggression, and volatile behaviors, and social interactions. In addition, this is so sad, feelings of isolation and rejection from their peers are reported as common. If we're not able to help kids regulate their emotions now, rejection and isolation are those natural byproducts. And looking back, I mean, not to scare anybody, but it feels like what do so many of these school shooters have in common? They felt rejection. They felt isolated. That only leads to horrific things for those kids and for others. And so being able to regulate emotions is a powerful tool in the church that is so healthy. Um, researchers are even predicting if, if kids can't regulate these 
phases at a young age, they will predict the overall life satisfaction, relational equity that these kids can even have or capacity. So it's just very important as we teach, as, as we teach um, emotional health to our children in the church. All right, so I'm like all geared up. I want to teach on emotional health in the church. Let's go. And then I started coming across some data points on trauma that just rocked my socks. Here's what they said about trauma in childhood. Trauma produces stress, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention warns that a large and growing body of research indicates that toxic stress during childhood can harm the most basic levels of the nervous, endocrine, and immune systems, and that such exposures with trauma can even alter the physical DNA of people. Think about that. Trauma's effect, it can even alter how DNA is being formed in children's bodies. And so helping kids navigate trauma is pivotal and critical. And I came across something that I've never heard before and, like, so embarrassed that I haven't. It's called ACE, Adverse Childhood Experience. How many of you have ever heard of an ACE before? Raise your hand. Okay, look around this room. There's, there's a lot of smart people, way smarter than I ever was. I was a kid's pastor. I've never heard of what an ACE was. As a matter of fact, 56% um, of all children's pastors have not heard of ACEs before. So an ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. And here's what they are. There's 10 of them. Think of the word ant. Abuse, neglect, and trouble in the home. So just I want you to process that in the back of your mind. Ant, abuse, neglect, trouble in the home. And here's the 10 aces. We have physical abuse, emotional abuse, and sexual abuse. Those are three aces. We have physical neglect and emotional neglect. Those are two more aces. And then we have trouble in the home. We have mental illness, incarcerated relative, mother treated violently, substance abuse, divorce. Uh, divorce could also have like a death in the family, like radical family change could be under that category. These are ACEs. I've never heard of these before, but one of the things that was um, interesting and sobering for me to find out was, well, 38% of children nationwide have experienced at least one or more of these. 65% of all adults have reported to experiencing an ACE, but here's where the data like hit me between the eyes, and I had to just stop and say, Lord, I, I need to do things differently. As a, as a children's pastor of 14 years, I came across some data on how trauma stacks. Did you know that those with ACE scores are four or more? They had significantly higher rates of heart disease and diabetes than those with ACE scores of zero. The likelihood of chronic pulmonary lung disease increased 390%, hepatitis 240%, depression 460%, and suicide 1,220%. Those with ACE scores of 6 had a 4,600% increase in the likelihood of becoming an IV drug user. Listen to this. If a child has four or more ACEs, they're 12 times more likely to attempt suicide. That just, like, completely blew me away. If a child has six or more aces, people with six or more aces, stat-wise, it'll usually take about 20 years after life expectancy. These are huge, huge deals. Um, I want to go back to these 10 aces really quick. So if you see... It just changes the game a little bit. If you see some of these 10 aces and all of a sudden a child is walking through a divorce in their home, you'd be like, what else is that child? Was, were they neglected by dad? Were they maybe verbally abused by mom? They might have other aces. And so instead of just seeing one problem at a time, I was realizing that some of these kids, it's almost like they're on a ledge and there's such danger. There's a cliff just a half a step away. And I have to treat kids differently. They have trauma in my ministry. I just can't give them a hug in the moment and move on. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But I want to talk about, I came across this illustration on survivor bias. There was a World War II hero named Abraham Wald. I believe he was from Hungary, and he was fleeing the Nazi spread in Europe. And he came to the United States of America. He was a mathematician. 
And they had a math problem in World War II. You see, the bomber planes could only carry uh, enough bombs, but they were being shot down because they were flying so low and so slow, and they could only reinforce the planes with the right amount of armor. And so they said, Dr. Abraham Wald, we need your help. We have a math problem. We can't reinforce the entire bottom of the planes. We can only put steel plates in certain areas. And so here we have some planes that have made it back. Here's all the bullet holes. And we were thinking that we should maybe reinforce the tips. Look at all those bullet holes on the sides. Uh, on the back tail wing, let's reinforce that. And, and what do you think? And he said, you guys have it all wrong. They're like, what do you mean? He goes, you're only analyzing the planes that made it back. Therefore, we're going to reinforce every single area that you do not see a bullet hole because these are the critical spots of the plane. What this illustration did for me was this. When I'm judging or gauging the health of my children's ministry or maybe uh, big family members or church, am I only judging the health of my kids' ministry based on the kids that have made it back? Think about that for a second. Am I only gauging the health of my ministry by based on the kids that have made it back? What about that kid who hasn't been back to church in two years now because of COVID? What about that family that is still very nervous to re-engage with the church? What about that family that just simply got out of the habit of going to church and now... We don't see them anymore. So don't have survivor bias. Don't just judge the health of your ministry by those faithful kids that are there every week. But who's not in the room that should be? And I'm so thankful that we serve Jesus, who is the master. It, I mean, Matthew 18, 12 talked about the story of Jesus leaving the 99. He's like, you're good? All right, I'm going to go chase after the one. Interesting parallel story that I just came across. Isn't it fun how God's word changes all the time? Well, it, it really doesn't, but it changes me all the time. Isn't that fun that we've all read the same stories? Whether, you know, Dr. Kathy, I learned something new, like Daniel slinging and killing Do Goliath. That was new to me today. And so it's just fun to point out Dr. Kathy, the one time I've ever heard her misspeak in her life. So I just want to just honor you by embarrassing you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Love you, Dr. Kathy. Hey, I was just reading the story of David and Goliath. When David, by the way, was tasked with going to help his brothers uh, give the meal, did you realize that David found somebody to watch the sheep before he left? Interesting. Read it in Scripture. That's a good shepherd right there. He found somebody to make sure that the sheep were okay before he carried on another task. Jesus modeled taking care of the 99, making sure that they're good, Okay, that's good. They're in the pen, but we're going to leave them. They're good because there's somebody that needs help. There's somebody that needs help. Here was my trauma plan. I want to challenge every church, every ministry leader, every parent that is a neighbor. Develop a trauma plan for kids that are hurting in your ministry. Here was my trauma plan, and this is, this is so embarrassing, guys, and I appreciate you not judging me harshly. But as a pastor, here is my trial and plan. Tell me your name again in the front. Kyle. This is Kyle, okay? I just heard that Kyle, as, you know, he's an eight-year-old boy. His parents are getting a divorce. And in the middle of kids' church, the lobby, I see Kyle. I just heard this news on staff meeting on Tuesday. And so I come to Kyle. Hey, Kyle, I hear that your parents are walking through divorce. I'm so sorry. It's not your fault. Hey, buddy, we love you. Can I pray for you really quick in the moment? Dear God, help Kyle. He's going through a hard time. Kyle, hey. If there's anything that you need, you let me know, okay? Hey, boys and girls, are you excited to be in church today? That was my trauma plan. Praying for 30 seconds for somebody whose world just collapsed. And I'm a pastor. It's embarrassing sharing that with you guys. I, I try to do more. I try to be a better steward of the pain of my sheep. Because if you're a Sunday school teacher, I want you to have the mindset that God's called you to pastor your kids in that classroom. Take ownership. Say, these are my kids. If they're hurting, we're hurting. 
because we mourn with those who mourn. If they're rejoicing, we're rejoicing because we rejoice with those who rejoice. So what would it look like? I want us to put on our creative thinking hats this afternoon. What would it look like or what could it look like for us to have a trauma plan in the church for when you find out like devastating information? If somebody's walking through a tough time, what would it look like to have a team of like four or six grandparents that could call that person, call Kyle every single week for the first six months to say, Kyle, how are you doing this week? We care about you, buddy. We're praying for you. What would it look like for a church to have a stockpile of teddy bears for any kid that has walked through a tough time or maybe have been sexually abused or physically abused to say, here's a teddy bear from our church. Know that every time you hug this teddy bear, we're hugging you back. But more importantly, God sees you. God's hugging you. God loves you. What would it look like to run towards people in pain? What would it look like to say, hey, before church every half hour, I want you who's hurting to come with me. I want to show you extra attention, extra time. Because when these aces happen, adverse childhood experiences, these kids need extra attention, extra resources. We just can't treat Kyle like another face out of 80 kids in your kid's church. No, he needs help now. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God that he, when we cry out to him, Psalms 40, here's the God that we serve. Are you guys ready for this? And it's humbling when you read about the character traits of Jesus and our Father God, it humbles me to say, God, I need help because I'm so far from that and I need you. But Psalms 40 talks about, hey, I cried out to the Lord. Not only did God hear me, but he turned to me. Think of the intentionality of God. As a parent, have you ever heard your kids but not turned to them? Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear it. Yeah, yeah. It's like mom, 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 mom. I mean, you hear them, but they're wanting you to turn to them. So not only did God hear that person that was crying out to him in Psalms 40, he turned to them. Not only did he lift them out of the slimy pit, but he also set them on a solid rock. He even goes so far as to put a new song in their mouth. That's the God that we serve. He just goes the extra mile to chase down the person that is lost, broken, and hurting. And as a church, pain can be our greatest opportunity for ministry. I used to think it was the pulpit. I used to think if I just preach harder or better, that's going to be the area that God uses most. But as, as a pastor of now 17 years, I found my most special ministry opportunities have been in hospital rooms, have been at funerals, have been showing up when they have the viewing of funerals just to be there with the kids, just to say, I'm here. Be with people, Emmanuel, God with us, that we have that same high calling to be with people as they hurt. I've lost my mom to breast cancer. We've lost a child. We've gone through some tough stuff. And from the point of view of somebody who has gone through hurts, when that person endures pain or loss, their world stops spinning. And everybody else, they just keep going. Not because they're careless or they are mean. No, they just, it's not on their radar. Hey, where are we going to lunch? Chick-fil-A? It's like, now we have to take down the crib that we just set up in our nursery. That was tough. That was tough. After losing a child to now redecorate the room. After the loss of a dream. That, the person in pain. I don't say that to gain sympathy. I say, let's gain empathy for those people who are hurting. To say, we have an opportunity to show the love of God in their pain. And so, building emotionally healthy kids, it really starts with helping kids who are hurting. And there's hurt all over. And if we're going to teach awesome concepts and apply great teaching tips from Dr. Kathy, that's awesome. But if the church can't help people in their time of need, we've missed it. Like if somebody is bleeding from an artery and we're like, dude, I have three teaching points that are going to change your life. It's like, I'm bleeding. Help. Help. And as a church, we should have the answer. Do we know healthy Christian counselors in our communities? 
Is that in our phones? It could be. That might be one action step today to say, I want to research and find an awesome Christian healthy counselor. So if I hear of a family or a kid in need, I could say, hey, let me share a contact with you. This woman or this man is awesome. Let's do that. Let's take people out for coffee. Sometimes we don't want to address the pain because we don't want to make people feel bad. But here's a great question. I've had people in our church that have lost a parent, lost, just tremendous loss. I say, hey, can't imagine what you're walking through, but how are you doing today? Isn't that a different phrasing of the question versus, oh, your dad just died. How are you doing? It's like, oh, how do you think I'm doing? But how are you doing today? And just be there just to say, I can't imagine how hard this is, but I just want you to know I'm praying for you. We love you. While some families in our church were going through pain, their son was on a waiting list for a heart transplant. We would send them videos of our kids praying for them to say, we're with you. We're praying for your son. We're believing for a miracle. We are with you. What a, what a statement for the church. What a statement for this hurting world that is desperate to say, does anybody care? To say, I care because God cares about you. So let's have a trauma plan. Let's figure things out. Let's pray and brainstorm. And it's going to look different at your church based on the personnel that you have. You might have an awesome craft lady. And she's like, hey, Eddie, we could do this for kids walking through stuff. We might have a person that this guy works with horses. It's like, this would be a great outlet. But I just, my challenge is, I hope the Holy Spirit could unlock the creativity of your church. That when you find out that kids are struggling and walking through pain, it's like, hey, we have a plan. Here's what we're doing. What I'm not asking is for every single person to be a clinical psychologist or a marriage therapist or like, okay, that sounds overwhelming. You're like, Chris, I, I can't do anymore. Like just trying to find like four workers for our ministry area is insane. So I'm not asking you to do more. The Holy Spirit put this uh, perspective in, in me. What if, what if all of us kids leaders viewed ourselves as 911 dispatchers? A 911 dispatcher doesn't need to know how to put out a fire, Right? What do they need to know? The number to the fire department. And so just if we take some time and strategize, what could this look like? All right, I found some new information. I'm going to call Tammy. Tammy will know what to do. I'm going to call pastor. And by the way, do all of this under the covering of your senior pastor. Talk to them first. Come up with a plan as a team, what you could do. Don't go rogue and be like, Pastor, we gave away a $1,000 gift card to this family for gas. If you could just pay for it, that'd be great, all right? Um, so just get the covering of your leadership. But let's be those people that when they see problems or pain, that as a church, we run towards those people. We don't wait for them to just crawl through the church doors, barely just grasping to say help. No, when we hear something, let's be those people that move. When Jesus was moved, he moved. It's a simple concept. When Jesus was moved with compassion, he moved. And so let's be those people. All right, so I want to give you some practical tips to change gears just a little bit on how, now that we dealt with the trauma aspect, we have to get that right, how do we help kids develop social and emotional skills? There was something called, I'll blaze through a couple of these, uh, social emotional learning. Uh, John Comer, back in the late 60s, was working for Yale, and they were doing a huge research project on social emotional learning. And what that looked like, they went to a school in New Hampshire, had one of the worst attendance records, worst behavior records. This school was a nightmare to work in. And he said, I'm going to try a different learning approach. And this is a relational-based approach to learning. So social-emotional learning. So two terms I want you to remember. ACE, what does ACE stand for? Adverse childhood experience. And to think of those 10 aces, what are you supposed to think of? Think of an ant. What does the ant stand for? Abuse, neglect, and trouble in the home. Ant, abuse, neglect, trouble in the home. That will tip you off to pain. Remember, if somebody brings a pain thing, hey, I'm walking through divorce, think, what else 
could they maybe have in their life? Because this kid could be on the ledge. Ask curious questions. We're not investigators. We're not saying, have you ever been touched in your whole life? No, we're, we're not asking questions like that, but we're just saying, tell me what else. What's your home life like? How does your mom and dad talk to you? Do you feel safe at home? Advocate for those kids. Help them articulate that. All right. Another phrase I want you to learn or words or acronym is social emotional learning. All right. Schools are finding that they can't stay in the educational box or the academic box, but they must help develop children's social and emotional skills if they want to be effective educators. If a kid cannot self-regulate, is not self-aware, banging into desks, causing distractions, it is very difficult to teach them complex math. Right? You see where I'm going with this? So, SEL, or social-emotional learning, is a way to teach the soft skills that have been correlated with conflict, uh, conflict resolution and character building. SEL used to be a wishy-washy skill, but is now developed into an essential part of education. So this guy uh, went to this New Hampshire school, and it was a relational-based approach to learning. Instead of saying, stop moving your desk around, you're being distracting, the teacher would say something like, hey, how could I help you? I see that you're moving your desk. Is there anything, is there anything that I could help you with? Okay. Hey, tell me about your day. What's going on in you right now? And all of a sudden, things would come to the surface. And that teacher was able to speak to the heart, not just to the behavior. And so within 10 years, that school went from the worst school, a nightmare, you would never want to work there, all of a sudden massively changed around the best attendance, the best academic record. It was amazing. The 90s, Daniel Goleman, emotional intelligence gurus, guys, they joined an organization or formed an organization called Castle.org. C-A-S-E-L dot O-R-G. And this is some of the greatest educational experts around the world saying, how can we help teach social and emotional skills to school-aged children? 65% of all kids pastors have not heard of social emotional learning and it's within five components all right how many of you think i'm gonna read these five tell me if you think you'd like your kids in your ministry to have these skills social awareness self-awareness relational skills self-management responsible decision making to me those sound a lot like the fruit of the spirit right there's over 22 million teachers that teach social emotional learning practices in their classroom. So my point with this is this. If there's been millions of dollars of research and millions of, of teachers and educators that work with kids for six to eight hours a day, if they're learning new concepts to help teach kids in the church world, I think at least we should be curious about that to say, if they're dedicating extracurricular times and resources and extended education or continuing education to find out about these things, that'd be cool to check out the website. Like, what are they doing? Why not have a teacher from your school district come into your Sunday school class or talk to your Sunday school teachers to say, how do you manage classroom behavior? Tell me your best practices. In the church, we just can't say, it's hard, kids are out of control, give them some fidgets, and I hope that helps. Like, there's been experts in this field, and I'm a huge believer in the best idea is a stolen idea, okay? Pablo Picasso said, good artists copy, but great artists steal. You think of the art industry and how all the different genres, and one artist said, oh, I'm going to do this, and they would just all rip off each other. But so, instead of you having to figure it out in your own church, why not do some research, Yourself. Why not ask educators, what are you doing? Because if we can't teach social and emotional skills in the church, how are they going to really absorb the Bible lesson, the Bible truth? If kids are causing so much distraction that the teacher is so stressed that they hate being a fourth grade Sunday school teacher, what's the overall tone of that classroom? Kids are so smart. 
kids are like, this teacher doesn't want to be here. And if you don't have a plan for the kids, the kids will have a plan for you, right? Right? It's so, this social emotional learning stuff has really just helped me to say, I want to make sure that I'm teaching the holistic approach that Jesus grew in stature and favor. I mean, he was growing physically, emotionally, uh, relationally with God, relationally with people. It was dynamic. It wasn't static. And it was in multiple areas. But in the church, we want to isolate our entire teaching time to just knowledge, just learn the spiritual truth. That's it. And we're not teaching kids the relational side of Scripture I'm pretty sure Jesus had some harsh things to say to those people that got the the spiritual things right, but the relational things wrong. Those are called Pharisees, right? If we say we love God, but we don't love people, watch out. Kids need to learn how to love people, how to handle your anger, how to handle your disappointment. It's okay to talk about those relational skills in church. Not just, well, the lesson only says I have to memorize John. It's okay. It's helping kids develop holistically the two greatest commandments. Yes, the one greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. But the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So teaching kids like Dr. Kathy, why, why so many... She just resonates so deeply with me because her filter, it just I just hear the voice of God affirming his creation. I created you on purpose, for a purpose, for a purpose. And I, I almost said porpoise right there, por- like, a, like a sea life. Anyway, um, so it's, it's so cool that we're affirming kids who they are created to be, what God is doing in them, and just want to continue to challenge all of us. It's this way, teaching relationships this way with God and man, but this way with each other as well. So here's a couple quick things to do. Um, IQ, oh, I'm sorry, I'll back up one more time. Uh, IQ is important, that's intelligence. Uh, Intelligent quotient is IQ. EQ is emotional quotient. That ability to read people, that is actually a better determiner in future happiness and success in life is if kids can relate to people more than just being smart. Couple quick things. I love, here's my two favorite quotes, by the way. Smiling is the fastest way to build resonance with people. Do you smile at your kids? A smile just, oh man. When you walk to the door, do people smile? Do you know why many of you are smiling back at me right now? It's because I'm smiling at you first. Oh, that was like such a deep truth. It was so stupid simple. Why do my kids smile at me? Because I smile at them first. If you have a hard time smiling, you need to go to your bathroom mirror and practice. (laughs) It sounds silly, but smiling is powerful. It shows people that they're accepted and that you like them. Dr. Kathy said some kids struggle with knowing their parents love them but not feeling like they like them. Smile. Do you smile at your own kids? Do you delight in your kids? I'm so thankful when I look at the face of God. I sense his smile on me. I sense that he's proud of me, that he's not just an angry dad waiting once again for me to blow it. So, smile. It's the fastest way to build resonance. But a smile technically can be faked. So therefore, laughter is the closest distance between two people. I love that quote. This shows the health of your kids' ministry, of your church lobby. If there is bad beef between you and your senior pastor, and he tells the funniest joke ever, you're going to sit there and be like, that's not funny. Because there's beef. Laughter shows proximity. Do you laugh at your kid's ministry? Can you laugh at yourself? It's your laughter in your lobby. If you can laugh together, you can cry together, right? Say it again. If you can laugh together, you can cry together. It's such a cool keystone emotion that opens up the heart to so many other emotions. Laugh. 
Kids are so easy to laugh with. All you need to say is the word bathroom, and kids will laugh, all right? Kids are just the best audience for laughter. But just have fun. Laugh. All right, a couple quick practical things in the church. Um, a way to help regulate some emotions are breathing techniques in your church to help kids come down. Some, some people say after the worship, our, our kids are using their bigger muscles, and it's hard for them to like calm down and relax for the lesson. And so some kids' pastors said, Pastor Chris, I started using some of these breathing techniques. I'm going to teach you two today really quick. But breathing techniques help slow down heart rates and help our kids focus more. Um, by the way, why have we let... The devil hijack breathing. Some people are like, ooh, breathing, that's Eastern religion. That's like meditation. That's just, ooh, I would be careful. I'm pretty sure it's God who puts breath in our lungs, right? Right? And so just being able to breathe. I'm going to teach you two fun breathing techniques that you can do with kids to help regain control in the classroom, to help calm kids down. Did you know, by the way, especially in boys, when they are worked up and angry, their brain, the prefrontal cortex, literally shuts down, and that energy is transferred into their large muscles so that they can fight or flight or freeze. It's crazy how God wired us to survive, to be strong. And so when you have an angry kid and you're like, now just listen. It's like, dude, they're ready to punch you out or to jet out, okay? So how to help them calm back down to speak to them. It's important. So breathing. One is called bubble breathing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a fist and touch your first knuckle. And we're going to breathe out through our nose and out through our mouth. Actually, the most important part of breathing is exhaling because your body is actually getting rid of carbon dioxide. So don't just take a shortcut on the breathing out. That's actually the most important part, okay? So we're going to make a bubble. We're going to breathe in the size of a bubble with our nostrils, and we're going to breathe it out. Here we go. Ready? Second, we're going to make a bubble the size of our bodies. Here we go. Breathe in with me. Some of you ate a little bit more, and that's why you took a little bit deeper breath. Okay, anyway. Um, all right, third bubble. We're going to make a bubble the size of this entire room. This is a big room. Here we go. Ready? Good. Last bubble. We're going to make a bubble the size of this entire church. Do you kids think you can do this with me? Oh, sorry, adults. All right, here we go. Ready? Here we go. Wow. Great job. Great job listening. Those bubble breathing techniques can help regain focus. Another one is box breathing, where you inhale, take a deep breath through your nose. We'll try it one more time with me. I will, I'll be your chorale instructor. We're going to inhale. We're going to hold. We're going to exhale. We're going to hold. You guys ready? Here we go. Sorry, sorry, I just felt like I heard a symphony in the background, and that was just my mind. All right, so those breathing techniques help regulate emotions. They help kids come down so we can have healthy conversations. It's nothing like mysterious or evil or satanic to be able to help kids breathe to just come down a little bit. Um, one couple kids' churches, they have iPads. They, or here's an idea for you. You could record yourself doing those breathing techniques. And if a kid is having a very hard time listening in class, you could say, hey, why don't you go sit on the back of the beanbag, put on those headphones, and just breathe with that. Could you just do that and click play? And they could oh, have a spot. Some of our kids, they get worked up so fast. They just need a time to decompress. And we can help them as we create some avenues to help them develop socially and emotionally, that self-awareness piece. So, we have about three minutes social, emotional learning in the church. Sometimes we teach Bible lessons like this. 
Did you know that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and then Potiphar's wife falsely accused him? He was put in prison for a way unjust longer time than he should have been. But then God made him come and get out of jail and get in. Now he was second in control in command of all of Egypt. Isn't that so cool that even though it looked bad that God's a redeemer? And that's so cool. And boys and girls, by the way, come back next week for Jonah and the Whale, okay? It's like, whoa, pause. I love that Dr. Kathy Cook said, we don't teach curriculum. You are the teacher. Let's pause. Let's talk about the emotional side of Joseph. Have any of you ever felt like maybe a parent, a teacher, a coach favored somebody else more than you? How did that make you feel? Have you ever felt lied about? Have you ever felt that you had a consequence that you didn't deserve and you start to get angry and frustrated? Was it okay, boys and girls? Was it okay for Joseph to be angry at God? Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's guaranteed you're going to get 95% of all the kids. Oh, no. that's Actually, it's okay to give God all all of our emotions, not just our happy emotions, but our sad and dark and angry emotions. We could say, God, I'm angry. I don't understand. And that's okay because God can handle it. But what did Joseph do while he was angry, while he was in prison? Joseph continued to trust God. The kids whatever you're facing, whatever home situation you have, even if it's unfair or unjust, you can keep trusting God because God's faithful. He sees you and he can handle all of your hurt. He can handle all of your good. Let's talk about the emotional side of our Bible heroes. And James, he said, Elijah, yep, just a man like us. And we're like, what? Just a man? Sometimes with our Bible characters, characters, sorry, Bible heroes, examples in real life, um, we can put them on such pedestals to say, I could never do that. And James is like, Elijah, yeah, he was just a man. Every single one of our Bible heroes had to trust God with tough stuff. At least, let's teach kids. Look at David. Why in the church do we rush through those hard emotions? And we tell people, I mean, I've, I've seen people walk through tragedies. And they're like, you know what? To the glory of God, even though my family just died in a car accident last week, you know, God is good. God has a plan. He works all things out for, for his plan according to his riches, glory, Christ. It's going to be great. Hallelujah. And you're just like, you're a robot. That's not human. Why do we feel like we need to deny our humanity to please God who made us human? Think about that. God wants all of us just to be able to say, God, I need you. You look at David. Where are you? My enemies, they're everywhere and you're nowhere. It's just, oh man, you just get a kick out of David. Uh, David and Daniel. Daniel had to feel the same way living in a foreign government, foreign land, like, Lord, you're my deliverer. Where are you? But here's what David would always get to. Where are you? I don't see you. <sighs> you could just picture David taking a deep breath. But God, I still trust you. You're my rock. You're my redeemer. You're my fortress. I want to dwell in the shadow of your wing. You're my protector. You're my warrior. In you, I can put my trust. Let's teach kids that resiliency to trust God with all their tough stuff. So, ACEs, helping kids walk through trauma with pain, with social and emotional skills, helping kids not just to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but to love people and teach them how. Here's the, most, here's the deep thing I'm going to tell you that you're going to hear all day. You guys ready for this deep thought? You don't know what you don't know. Let's teach kids how, instead of just being disappointed that they, they're not doing it. 
How do you handle frustration? How do you handle a conversation that is hard in a way that honors God? Teach them. Tell them times that you blew it. And because I'm married, I have so many examples. Right, Kristen? Yeah, thanks. She's like, yes, honey, you have a lot of examples. Uh, But let's just continue to fall in love with teaching kids. God has made us emotional beings, and that's okay. We don't need to deny our emotions to be fully God. However, we're not driven by emotions either. It's a balance. I just want to pray a blessing over you that we can help lost kids be found that we can help kids navigate this complex world where emotionally they're all over the place. But I'm so thankful that God is a rock and he's consistent. And let's teach those relational skills as well. And if you'd like these slides to process more with your people, um, I don't know if I have my email address on there, but my email is cpruitt.com at mnaog.org. And I will send you all these. You can talk to me afterwards to get that. But I would love for you just to explore that more. What would it look like talking about the emotional side of Bible Heroes as well through our lessons? Not just get through the lesson. Let's on to next week. Okay? Let's pray. And then we're gonna, we have about two minutes for questions, but we'll pray first. Father God, I pray that you'd help us to be more like your son Jesus. He was the perfect example and how to see people, how to move with compassion, how to be full of grace, and he was full of truth. And God, we just need more of that. Holy Spirit, could you just quicken us, remind us of the life and teaching of Jesus, activate us, so as we hear conversations, as we walk through tough stuff, we will be reminded in how to live and how to lead. We need your help. There's no way we could do this on our own. I pray for any kid represented in this room that is so hurting right now, that the church would be the force for good in their life, that they would know you because of your church. I pray blessings on everybody here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I said we'd take time for questions. If we have a question, come talk to me. I want to give you, we have about like 11 minutes before our last closing session. It's at 2.15, right? Two third. Okay, we do have a time for a question. Awesome. Would, is there any questions in this place? And if they're really complex and hard questions, just save them for Dr. Kathy afterwards, okay? Any other questions about this stuff? If not, oh, we, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he said the trauma plan sounded like a little short term, like how do you do it really quick? Um, How do you walk through that pain long term with kids? It's not easy. Um, One of the greatest tools that you have in your pocket is your phone. Why don't you write down your pain date? If those kids got a divorce, if those kids had a court date, if those kids got separated, if some, a tragedy happened, write that date in your phone and set a reminder every year for that or every month for that. There's a family now that Kristen and me called uh, for the last, I think it is, he would have been 22. So for the last 10 years, every year, on Micah's anniversary of meeting Jesus, we call his family. He was a 12-year-old boy in my ministry, got in a car accident, tragically died. Every year, Kristen and me on that date call his mom and dad and say, I will never forget your son Micah. Your son Micah had the most radiant blonde hair I knew every time he was in my kid's church where he was sitting. I'll never forget your son Micah, and I'm so sorry he passed away. Every year we call, we walk with people. Sometimes pain and grief, it goes in seasons, it goes in waves. But walking with people long term, I want us as a church to just get away from the urgent and like pray for you quick and be done. So that trauma plan is just supposed to be one more step to say, how can we walk with people intentionally? And it's going to take time. It might take years of counseling. And that's okay. But let's just continue to walk with people in their time of need is, is my biggest piece of advice that, uh, that we're trying to live up to. Anybody else? Any other question? You have? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Way in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Books and resources. One, one of the things that I'm so thankful for is Google because you can also look up 
verses in the Bible on loss, verses on the Bible on depression, verses on the Bible on this. And as a family, you could create that environment. If you're going through a tough time, you could look up some of those verses, write them on post-it notes, and stick them on your kid's bathroom mirror and say, for the next week as a family, every time we brush your teeth, we're going to just read this truth about God's word. Just to reinforce, what does God say? What is God saying to me right now in my time of need? What is God telling me about letting my light shine so that others can be glorified? Okay, what does that look like in the context of somebody else in pain, in darkness? How do I let my light shine? So Google a bunch of verses on pain, suffering, loss. Read some of those Bible stories discuss it with those kids. Uh, the prodigal uh, son, uh, what does it mean to be lost? You can have the good Samaritan. What does that mean to go the extra mile as a family to help somebody? We all have neighbors. Uh, you know, you guys, when we went through a loss, I'll tell you one of the most humbling things that's ever happened to us. We had a guy in our church who has like zero dollars. When we lost our daughter, he came up to our house, knocked on our door. He had a baggie from our grocery store of two cans of soup and a little dessert thing in there for a family. And he said, I just want to bless you guys with a meal. You know what that did for us? That was the world to us. We think it has to be massive and monumental and huge. It's just a simple act of kindness to say, here's a meal. Hey, here's a gas gift card. We know you guys are going down to the hospital a lot. We're praying for you. We love you. So those little things. What? Here's a question. What can you do? There's a lot you can't do. But what can you do? And with that filter in context, I think the church could do a lot of cool good. All right, any other questions? Do we have one more? Yeah, way in the back. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for SEL in the church, actually hard practices. My uh, phase in this is actually very, it's, I feel like it's in the incubator phase. I'm just saying we have 22 million teachers educated, spending millions of dollars on research on try to, trying to help kids because it's a challenge right now. And so for the church to be completely oblivious to that research or that effort, I'm like, it's time to get curious about those questions. And so talking about the emotional things, we relate to pastors all the time that share personal stories that help kids uh, with just understand the truth in, in basic ways. So SEO, that castle.org site, has a ton of resources, what teachers are actually using. But what they don't have, that we do have, is the Holy Spirit. So that's what I'm most excited for, to say, okay, what are they doing? But they're trying to teach morality in social awareness without God, which is impossible, by the way. So what would it look like to say self-awareness? I think sometimes in the church, real quick on a quick tangent, we hyper-spiritualize. Like if our kids are walking through a restaurant and they see a guy slumped over crying by himself, I don't need the Holy Spirit to tell me I should probably do something. That's called self-awareness. That's called social awareness to see, like, somebody's hurting. I need to think more of others than I do of myself, and I need to move. I think we hyper-spiritualize some things that we could teach with social awareness, with emotional health, emotional awareness. What am I feeling? What's going on in me? Like, those are powerful questions that we could ask kids to help them point to God. So I don't have an answer to autism, to other special needs in that context, but I am curious. And so if any of you do, uh, I would love to talk more.